Unprotected exposure to UV lights might have caused several people to develop eye pain, vision problems, and sunburnt skin after attending Ape Fest, an event hosted in Hong Kong over the weekend by the NFT collection Board Ape Yacht Club. Yuga Labs, the blockchain company behind the NFT project, has said it's aware of the situation and is taking the reports seriously. This is Pulse Check. I'm Kelly Hooper. As the Biden administration attempts to rein in artificial intelligence, lobbying firms are cashing in on the technology and rushing to sign up AI companies as clients. The burgeoning interest in AI comes as many Americans are still skeptical about its use in healthcare. A study by the Pew Research Center found that 60% of Americans say they would be uncomfortable with their provider relying on AI in their care, with most worrying that providers are moving too fast to incorporate the technology. Parts of the country are getting better at surveillance for viral hepatitis, which affects millions of people in the U.S., but few jurisdictions have enough resources to make meaningful progress toward eliminating the disease, according to a new report by patient advocates HEPVU and the National Alliance of State and Territorial AIDS Directors. In 2021, the CDC released funding for surveillance programs across 59 jurisdictions, up from 14. The report found that 70% of jurisdictions had viral hepatitis elimination plans in 2022, up from 43% in 2021, but only 54 jurisdictions are implementing those plans. And the CDC is updating its infection control guidance for the first time since 2020. The proposed changes acknowledge airborne transmission of COVID and recommend enhanced precautions like improved ventilation. Politico healthcare reporter Chelsea Ceruso is here to explain the potential implications of these CDC guideline changes. Hey, Chelsea, thanks for being here. Thanks so much for having me. So the CDC's advisors on infection control have approved these updates to guidance on how doctors can limit transmission of viral infections. Can you explain why these guidelines are being updated now? So I think first thing to understand is that the previous guidance was issued in 2007. So these are really old guidelines that just need to be updated. It also comes as the CDC is trying to rebuild trust with the public following the pandemic. So the advisory committee behind the proposed guidelines says they want to reflect lessons learned during the pandemic and be more accessible to providers. And what is in the updates? What do they say about airborne transmission? So it goes beyond airborne transmission, but I think this is a really important one to talk about because this has drawn the most response from some providers. So the new guidance removes terminology like droplets and airborne and instead puts air transmission into three categories with different recommendations. So the first category concerns common respiratory illnesses that are known to only travel short distances. And for those, it's not recommended that providers wear an N95 mask. The other two categories include new or emerging illnesses that can't travel long distances but can lead to more severe illness. And the other one concerns respiratory illness that can travel long distances or through a ventilation system. And both of those carry the recommendation that doctors wear N95 masks and also perhaps place a patient in an isolation room. And how have patients, providers, and others responded to these new guidelines? 
So during the meeting, which was on Thursday, Friday last week, both patients and providers called in saying that masks should be worn in healthcare settings, sort of regardless. And a lot of that pushback was led by the National Nurses United. They want the CDC to consider lessons from the pandemic when updating the safety protocols. And in particular, really wants nurses to wear N95 masks as a minimum level of protection when working with patients with suspected or confirmed infections. I think it's also important to note that these new guidelines do not specifically reference COVID or the flu or RSV. This is more general. The committee says they will address more specific illnesses in later draft updates that they issue. So where do we go from here? What will happen now that the guidelines have been approved by a committee? The draft will now go to the CDC for review, and then we'll have a 60-day public comment period. The National Nurses United were particularly critical of was that they weren't able to see the draft ahead of time before the meetings last week, and they wanted more time to comment. So we can expect to see perhaps more comments during that 60-day period. So we'll definitely be watching that. For sure. Thanks so much, Chelsea, for explaining this, and thanks for being here today. Thank you so much. And before you go, the Milken Future of Health Summit is underway in Washington. On Monday, current HHS Secretary Javier Becerra and Alex Azar, his predecessor under former President Donald Trump, sparred over the coming Medicare drug price negotiations. Becerra said they would make drugs more affordable. Azar said they amounted to government price fixing. This year's summit includes meaningful conversations about medical research, preventive care, public health, and the role of advanced tech including AI. And that's our show. Our music is by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. Afra Abdullah is our producer. Annie Reese and Alex Keeney are our senior producers. Kara Tabor is an editor for Pulse Check. Our healthcare team editors are Eli Reyes, Dan Goldberg, Barbara Van Tyne, Beth Belton, and Sean Zeller. I'm Kelly Hooper. Subscribe and follow Pulse Check for a new episode every day. And subscribe to our newsletters where you can read this reporting. Pulse, Future Pulse, and Prescription Pulse. Thanks for listening.